Welcome to the CME CE podcast, Let's Talk MRSA, 20 Frequently Asked Questions. Please review the complete CME CE information at www.mrsa20faqs.com. This podcast is designed to clarify frequently asked questions in serious MRSA infections that pose a threat to patient safety and add to the healthcare burden. Episodes released weekly are structured into four learning modules. Learners can apply for credit after reviewing each learning module. This is the fourth learning module, Applying Antimicrobial Stewardship Principles. There are five episodes in this learning module. This is the third episode. In this episode, Dr. James Lewis from the University of Texas Health Sciences Center, San Antonio, Texas, shares his clinical experience. Thank you, Dr. Lewis, for joining us once again. In the previous episode, we discussed the optimal duration of therapy for MRSA infections. For some types of infections, prolonged therapy lasting weeks may be necessary to ensure eradication of the infection. Also, for certain types of infections, parenteral therapy is recommended or may provide advantages over oral equivalents. Because of this, outpatient parenteral antimicrobial therapy, or OPAT, is increasingly being considered for patients who do not necessarily require hospitalization, but still require parenteral treatment. So what we would like to discuss today is how OPAT can play a role when managing MRSA infections. So my first question to you, Dr. Lewis, is what are the advantages of using OPAT as part of patient care? Well, you know, I think the advantages to OPAT when done correctly are absolutely great. And that really the big thing is we, we know, I mean, think about yourself. You would much rather be in your own home, you know, been tied to a hospital bed, rolling through the hospital hall with an IV pole behind you. Um, there's, there's a lot of upside, not just from a clinical standpoint, but also from a patient mental health standpoint um, to OPAT. And so I think that it's, it's very appealing from that standpoint. From a healthcare system standpoint, it's also very advantageous because, again, many institutions are paid on a DRG basis or whatnot, and so anything that you can do to shorten that length of stay is potentially very advantageous from a financial standpoint to the healthcare system. So I think you have a situation here where potentially the patient wins and potentially the healthcare system wins, and so when done right, I think that this really um, offers major upside for all involved. Okay. So can OPAT be used for any patient being considered for discharge from the hospital, or are there certain patient characteristics that make them um, some patients better candidates for OPAT? You know, I think that you the, the IDSA had some guidelines that were published several years ago um, looking at who really qualifies for OPAT, and I, I think that those guidelines are an excellent place to start with regards to what type of types of patients qualify. I think one of the key things, and we run into this a lot being a large county teaching hospital, is that you need to make sure that patients have stable, um, stable home environments, stable socioeconomic environments, such that you're not sending them home into a situation where bad things are going to happen with regards to making sure that they're able to get their therapy, um, with regards to making sure that they're able to follow up, making sure that their monitoring is appropriate. You know, and so I think you, you have to kind of look at all of the things that the IDSA does a very nice job of working through to make sure that you have a patient who's a good candidate for OPAT. Sending someone such as an injection drug user out with OPAT um, is potentially a recipe for disaster. And so you do need to think long and hard about whether or not this person is really a good candidate. Are they going to follow up or are they going to go out 
and do something uh, that that just will result in a bad outcome? Will they miss all their appointments? Will they not use their drug? Will they not use their therapy appropriately? Will they use any venous access for injection drug use or something of the like? So, you know, you do need to take a long, hard look at that. And unfortunately, um, not all patients are good candidates for OPAT. Okay. So what are some drug characteristics that are important when considering its use for OPAT? Well, you know, I tell you, when, when we really look at OPAT, one of the things that we really like to see um, are ideally once-a-day drugs. Um, if you have an agent that you can give once a day, then that allows you to either bring them into an infusion clinic, it allows you to do it through home health, it gives you a lot of dosing flexibility. And for the patient, it is really great because, especially if it's a home health setting, they can hook themselves up at whatever time is most convenient for them. From an infusion clinic standpoint, kind of the same thing. It allows you to set up a schedule around what's most convenient for the patient because you only have to get them in once a day. And so you can work your schedule and their schedules to really try and make this most convenient for everyone. Now, you can do twice-a-day drugs, but for some of the reasons that I just mentioned, these are just not quite as optimal as once-daily agents. So, you know, we, that's, we really tend to go in that direction. We tend to like um, drugs like ertapenem, drugs like ceftriaxone, daptomycin, potentially televancin, as that data continues to evolve. You know, I think all really offer you some, some potentially very nice things from a standpoint of use for OPAT. The other thing that we really like are agents that we can give IV push. So drugs like ceftriaxone and daptomycin, um, which can both be given over a couple minutes IV push, really represent um, ideal agents for us in an OPAT setting. Again, because if we bring them into our infusion clinic, we can get them in and out quickly. If they're at home, they can administer it to themselves quickly. Again, minimal impact on their day, on their lives. Uh, those are the types of things that we tend to try and think about. Okay. So my, my, my final question then to you is, is OPAC commonly used or recommended for MRSA infections? You know, in our setting, and I think in a lot of settings, uh, you're, you're increasingly seeing the use of, of OPAT for MRSA infections. You know, I think the other thing that needs to be mentioned here is the fact that linazolid, with the data that it has available, um, and its high bioavailability oral dosage form, really also provides you another nice option for some of your more severe MRSA infections in the outpatient setting. So we, you know, we're, we're certainly seeing vancomycin, especially for OPAT, um, maybe not being as used as much as it was because of the oral linazolid being available, because of the once-daily daptomycin being available. Again, as we learn more about televancin, I could see it potentially working its way into that niche as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, we are definitely seeing more, and I think you will see more recommendations um, from various bodies to encourage the use of OPAT or to consider the use of OPAT uh, for some of these MRSA infections. Well, thank you, Dr. Lewis, for taking the time to speak with us. Please join us again for additional discussions on meeting the challenges of serious MRSA infections. Thank you.